to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I never go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know how good I've been. You know how faithful I've been. You know how righteous I am. I would not even dream to approach the Lord in that way. You know, when we know ourselves, we can only go on this basis. Lord, I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies. You don't owe me a thing. I don't deserve any of this. God, I'm just crying out for help, grace. And thank God that that's how he deals with us. Grace. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis, chapters 32 through 33, in a message titled, Governed by God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. You remember Jacob had served Laban for 20 years, and he was taken advantage of by Laban, but God had overruled that, and he had been blessing Jacob But there came a point where Laban and his sons, their attitude toward Jacob was changing rapidly, and they were becoming hostile toward him. And the Lord appeared to Jacob and told him that it was time to leave. It was time to go back to the land of Canaan. It was time to go back to his father Isaac. And so Jacob, having been instructed by the Lord He went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim means two camps. And so Jacob recognized that it wasn't just his camp, but the angel of the Lord was camped out with him. And, and actually, the implication here is that there was a host of angels. So there was, you know, sort of a platoon of angels that God had dispatched to lead Jacob back to the promised land. You know, it's really a fascinating and a wonderful thing to think about it. And, and of course, the Bible the Bible peels back the veil and is always reminding us that there is a supernatural world and that the material is not all that there is. And here we see again, the angels of God have been sent to lead Jacob. Now, we don't, most of the time, have the kind of thing where we actually see this physically with our eyes, as Jacob did on this occasion. But if we look closely, oftentimes we see the hand of the Lord working around us. We realize that the Lord has sent his angel before us. We sense his presence And we're confident in his guiding and his protection. 
And you know, this is one of the beautiful and unique things that we experience as God's people. We're not alone in this world. We're not here by accident. And life isn't random. And it's not just, you know, whatever happens, happens. We are in the hand of the Lord, and we're being directed by him. And oftentimes, even though we might not see it, the Lord is dispatching his angels for us as well, and he's leading us on. And, you know, these things just remind us of that. And I think in, in our day and age, we, we need to have that reminder. And this is one of the beautiful things about the Bible. The Bible sort of you know, reminds us over and over again about the reality of this other world. You know, you live day to day here in Orange County and you travel up and down the freeway and, you know, you get lost in the shuffle of what you're doing with your job and all of that. And, you know, you can easily lose sight of the reality of the supernatural. You can easily lose sight uh, of the fact that you know, God is there and there's a whole spiritual world. But then when we come to the word, when we get into the scriptures, we're once again brought face to face with this kind of reality. That, you know, behind the scenes, God is at work. And that's what we see here. Now, Jacob, as he's heading back, He's had this face-off with Laban. He's heading back to his original home. He's heading back to see his father, Isaac. Jacob knows at some point he's going to have to deal with uh, the unfinished business with Esau. You remember he originally left his home because he had deceived his brother and Esau wanted to kill him. So Jacob knows that he's going to have to get this sorted out. So as he's heading back into the land, he sends messengers before him to go to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them saying, speak thus to my Lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Now, here's something that's, in some ways, rather astounding, but it's so typically human. Jacob has gone back at the the direct command of the Lord. You remember, the Lord appeared to him and said, it's time to go back. Not only has he been spoken to directly by the Lord that he is to go back, and of course, when God told him to go back, he said, you know, essentially it was that that he might fulfill all of the promises that he had made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. But then God sent this 
band of angels before him to assure him and encourage him. But now that word comes that Esau is on his way to him with 400 men, Jacob is distressed and he's frightened to death. And and here again, we see the humanity of the man in that he just, you know, seemingly completely forgets the promises of God. He completely forgets that God has sent his angels to go before him and he's stricken with fear over the coming of Esau. And now we see that Jacob is going to begin to, as he's done so many times before, he's going to begin to devise some sort of a plan to get himself out of trouble with Esau. But you know, I said it's so typically human because it is the case, isn't it? God speaks to us, he gives us promises, he encourages us and he assures us and you know we're moving ahead and we're excited and we're confident and then all of a sudden something unexpected comes up something goes a little bit wrong and we immediately think it's over and I get filled with fear and then I start thinking about you know well well, what am I going to do with this or how am I going to deal with that We do that thing so often. We need to learn to stand firm on those promises of God. And we need to remember that God is faithful. And of course, if God has told us something, he's going to bring it to pass. He's going to fulfill it. Now, Jacob, there's there's been a lot written about Jacob and a lot of speculation about you know, just what kind of a man he was and so forth. And, you know, as you look at Jacob, I think the thing that becomes most clear about him is that Jacob was a very clever man. He was a very resourceful man. And at the end of the day, he was pretty much a self-sufficient kind of a guy. You know, he could navigate his way through life pretty successfully. And he would generally, through his scheming and plotting, he would generally end up with the upper hand. His greatest weakness was really his strength. Well, really, in in the truest sense, it was the other way around. His strength, that, that strength of, of self-confidence and ingenuity and all of that, that was really his greatest weakness because what Jacob tended to do throughout much of his life was he tended to depend on himself and on his own resources and on his own cleverness and on his own ability to, again, navigate a situation. Jacob's biggest problem was he hadn't learned the great lesson of total dependence on the Lord. That was sort of the, the ongoing issue in his life. And as we come to this point, we really come now to what may be called the high point in the spiritual history of Jacob. Because this is the point 
where God is going to break him of that tendency toward self-reliance. And so Jacob is greatly afraid. He's distressed. And so what does he do? Verse 7, he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. See, Jacob's sort of in a panic mode, but he's doing the right thing here for sure. He's praying. But, you know, it's almost that he, you know, he prays this prayer, which is a great prayer, but then he doesn't seem to have real confidence that God is hearing his prayer or going to answer his prayer. And again, somehow, strangely, he seems to have forgotten, even though he mentions here, he says, Lord, you're the one who said to me, return to your country. So, you know, you could say that if you had that confidence that God had said to you, return to your country, you should be able to just relax and say, well, the Lord's going to work this out. But again, this is the the human dilemma that we so often find ourselves in. We become irrational. Of course, I should say God's going to just be able to work this out, but there's something in me where I get panicky and I get filled with anxiety and I start thinking, but, but what if this happens? And what if that happens? And, you know, I can create all of these potential scenarios and just get carried away with fear and just kind of leave faith out of the equation. And that's what he did. But he does pray a great prayer here. And in verse 10, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. Now, the one thing I would imagine with Jacob that probably tripped him up more than anything else here was he had a guilty conscience. Now, with Laban, Laban had been the cheater. Laban had been the deceiver. Laban had been the one who had taken advantage of Jacob. So when Jacob was confronting Laban, he had a lot of confidence that he was he was standing on the more sure ground because in that relationship, Jacob was much more the righteous man. And you remember when he confronted Laban, he was very aggressive with him. But you see, now here's the problem with Esau. Jacob doesn't have any of that confidence. He knows that he was wrong. And in a sense... He knows it would be right for Esau to take vengeance on him. So it's this, in a sense, it's kind of this guilty conscience that he has that's probably the thing that's undermining his ability to, to have confidence in the Lord. And again, we can find ourselves sometimes in that place. You know, God has given us promises, and maybe we've blown it in the past, and, and we, you know, we've been pretty confident that God has forgiven us, but then something comes up, and then we start to think, well, you know, the way I've been, the Lord, you know, I, I could see where maybe he just wouldn't want to bless me. I could see where maybe at this point I'm just going to end up reaping what I've sown. And, and so, it, you know, a person could lose confidence, not resting in the grace of God, 
not understanding the, the full forgiveness of God. Jacob here is really, he's making a confession. You know, he's crying out to the Lord and he's acknowledging, Lord, I'm not worthy of the least of all of the mercies and the truth that you have shown me. You know, I think anyone who's walked with the Lord for any amount of time knows that this is true about all of us, isn't it? You know, I never go to God and ask him for anything because I deserve it. I never go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know how good I've been. You know how faithful I've been. You know how righteous I am. Uh, I would not even dream to approach the Lord in that way. You know, when we know ourselves, we can only go on this basis. Lord, I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies. You don't owe me a thing. I don't deserve any of this. God, I'm just crying out for help, grace. And thank God that that's how he deals with us. Grace. Unmerited favor. It's not that we've earned it. And Jacob is, he's pleading for grace here. And so he says, I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies and the truth which you have shown to your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. You know, again, here you see the, this, this, this human thing. He's saying, God, you said this. And you could say, okay, well, if God said it, then just rest in it, trust it. But isn't that how we find ourselves sometimes? God's given the clear promise, but again, we, you know, we come up with reasons because of our own guilt or whatever why it probably can't apply to us. And certainly the devil's going to come along and say, oh, no, that's not for you. You can't receive that. God's not going to do that for you. He's not going to bless you. That's kind of what Jacob's going through here. He can tell God what he said, but he can't trust that God is actually going to come through and be faithful to what he said. So, for you have said, I will treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servant, every drove by itself, and said to his servant, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, when he saw my brother meet you and ask you, saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. Now, notice how Jacob, notice the communication here. My Lord Esau and your servant Jacob. Remember the promise of God? The older shall serve the younger. Here, Jacob has absolutely no confidence even in the, the promise that God had made. He's putting himself in the subservient role. Now, obviously, he's doing it you know, to hopefully ingratiate himself to his brother. But we just see sometimes how, you know, he's just completely lost sight and 
has no real confidence at this point in the promises of God. And so say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Jabbok was a tributary to the Jordan. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. So Jacob is now done all that he possibly can to appease Esau if that's necessary. He set everything in order, and now it's just Jacob alone by himself. And in many ways, you could see that God has arranged this whole thing. God has brought Jacob really, to the end of himself. He's all alone. He's in what seems to be a hopeless situation. He's completely shut up to the Lord. All of his self-sufficiency that he had demonstrated throughout his whole life has now been exhausted. And there he is, alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, you know, think about this. I mean, here's Jacob. He's there all alone. He's isolated. He's in the dark. And suddenly, I I wish we could really have a, a video clip of this. You know, what, how did it happen? Was, was Jacob just sitting there, just, you know, deep in thought and filled with anxiety and, you know, somebody all of a sudden come up behind him and grab him by the shoulders and throw him down? You know, how did, it, how did this wrestling match begin? It, I, we don't know. But suddenly there was a man and this man began to wrestle with him And he did so until the breaking of day. Now, when he, the man who was wrestling, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, Jacob was tenacious. He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Again, this is the man speaking. He said, let me go, for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, of course, Jacob is not wrestling with a, simply with a man. We know he's wrestling with the Lord. Join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. 
Beautiful People Don't Just Happen is the title of a book by Scott Sauls. And the subtitle is How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. And I think in the title and the subtitle, we can see that this book is going to be really helpful in helping us understand how God is using the challenging things in our life to make us, in the end, more like Christ. So my recommendation here is Scott Saul's book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Pick up your copy. I know you're going to be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. You can order the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen by Scott Sauls, to remind you to assign a purpose to your regret, hurt, and fear. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.